One o'clock on Wesson Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We have Hunter Bailey in the Planet Kia studio. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Broadcasting live from the Planet Kia studios. The best place on the planet to buy a car. Visit them on East Independence or online at PlanetKiaNC.com. I'm still a little bit on a high from the Quivarius Crouch mention. Because I remember as my first ever game I ever called doing play-by-play high school football. And there was a two-minute drill. Harding had it at like the 20. Okay, they had the whole length of the field basically to try to drive within a minute 45. I was like, okay, so I'm trying to set up the scene. Okay, let's see how many times, you know, they'll have like one timeout. So are they going to get out of bounds, yada, yada. Hand it to Quivarius Crouch, runs for 80 yards and scores a touchdown. And that team actually had played Zamir White the week before who was the number one running back in that class, and then Crouch was the number one running back in the next year's class. Has to be like one of the first few times it's ever happened. So I'm excited to see it. But this team, Hunter, it's always been a program, really going from Brad Lambert to even Will Healy to now Biff Pogey, where the running backs have been the the stars. You know, we can go to Benny LeMay. We can even go back where, yeah, Khalif was awesome, Khalif Phillips. And then Mm -hmm. you can talk about now. I like Shadrick Bird. I know you just kind of gave him a a glowing praise there. It doesn't seem like that's going to be very different going into this year. No, for sure. Like I said, a lot of talent. And there's even Siobhan McEachern that was on the team. who's like a change of of pace back last year. He's back as well. Henry Rutledge. There's there's some depth for sure for the 49ers. And I think Shad, whether it be Shad, Darrell, or if Guevaris does indeed come, like they're going to have a big O-line to run behind. And I think... They're going to run a lot of 22 personnel, so I expect to see a, a lot of carries. Now, the defensive staff, they made some changes last year, even going into the season. But defensively, I mean, Hunter, it's just been so bad the last couple of years. You can make an argument it was the worst defense sometimes statistically in different categories. They were literally the worst defense in some of that. It was awful. I have to imagine that's going to be the biggest jump because of two reasons. One, you can't go any worse. There's just (laughs) zero chance that this defense is going to be any worse next year. But also, this is somebody I do believe in, in Biff Pogey, and he is getting some talent there. So do you think that this could be an average defense? And how did they perform in your eyes? It's not like it was a high score. So, you know, at least they didn't allow a ton of yards or a ton of points going up on the scoreboard. I think you're going to see a much improved front four, and I think that's going to take the team way further. I mean, you you look at bad DB play. What does that what does that work hand in hand with bad bad pass rush? Mm-hmm. So you add guys like Yabi Oki, who we didn't get to see much of in the spring game, and then you're talking about Damon Clowney coming in from Ole Miss, and then someone really to watch as a returnee from last year. He actually started his career at Auburn, played a season at Indiana, is Stone Handy. He's an edge walk-up guy. He can ball. He's going to make a lot of plays. Yeah, it's a, it's a great. I heard I heard you on with Mac and Bone preview in the spring game. It's like you hope he doesn't play wide receiver, but yeah, yeah that's okay. We'll take the name at a different position. Well, a lot was made of those transfers too that came in on the defensive line, and we know Coach Poji is all about the trenches. So have they have they looked good? And then this kind of defense as a whole. I mean, did you see the improvement as far as you know just how they looked? in this game as well. I think there's more talent at all three levels of this defense. And I think linebacker is kind of kind of where it's going to start. Uh, you're talking about Demetrius Knight coming in from Georgia Tech. O.C. Iquanu, who's actually Iki Iquanu's younger brother, oh. transfer from Notre Dame. He had a good showing. He was probably the best linebacker on the field. 
uh, in the spring game. And then you still got Derek Boykins. He suffered a he or he went through a surgery in the offseason, still recovering, but he'll be back. Then Prince Bima, another returning starter. I think that group is going to be really good, especially in pass coverage. And I just like I say, if the secondary can piece it together, find find some strengths there. They've got some returning guys. Sounds like more help is on the way there as, as well. This could be, I mean, Biff Poji said top 15. I don't know if you guys heard that. I, I don't know about that. That's. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about going from literally bottom three to top 15. That would just be ridiculous. But if you can get middle of the road and just give your team a chance to win, big ups to you. Yeah, and I know Walker asked about the improvement during the game, but I meant over the totality of the spring. And what was the thing they emphasized, like the thing that they pointed to that said, this is why defense has not been good. Has it been tackling? Has it been communication? Like what – what has it been, in your opinion? Last year, it was the back end. They couldn't couldn't stop anybody, and they had they didn't have much of a pass rush. Quarterback could just sit back there, dice them up, and then the corners were, I mean, I'm not going to say like incompetent, but it was bad. Well, and plus the defensive, like the co-defensive coordinators, one was a pass rusher, one was a defensive back, yep. right? And that was the biggest weakness on the defense. When you, and when you look at it, man, it's like. This is almost a complete overhaul of the secondary. There's a couple guys back, and that's going to be Wayne Jones and Marcus Robitaille. Robitaille didn't play at all last year. He'll be a big contributor at safety. And then the corners are literally going to be a completely new group. Do you think that there stands to be, especially with so many guys that they brought in, are we going to see guys now exiting after they've had a spring under Coach Poggi and with so many guys vying for positions? Do they stand to lose some guys there, especially uh, at quarterback, the backup quarterback with everything that they said? Do we think that maybe that uh, that he could transfer, James Foster? See, I'm not sure. The way that Poggi phrased this after the spring game was that Xavier or Jalen Jones was outstanding. He was a showstopper, as we talked about. And then James Foster played great. Foster didn't see any action until the second half. I thought, I mean, he had two or three passes that should have been picked off. He ended up seven for 12, 100 yards and a touchdown. Really, all the quarterback play after Jones kind of stepped out was was pretty rough. Uh, but him not mentioning Xavier Williams at all kind of shocked me because Williams has been the number two through the spring. Williams and Foster have worked at number two. But for him to not mention him at all, at all knowing how young he is, that, that kind of shocked me. Let's switch over to basketball. You've still been covering basketball just as much as football and even more so on Highway 49 podcast. Awesome guest over there getting Jameer Young, who's always been a fun listen. Same thing. I know you had Bryce Williams. I think you actually had him on before your first stop here at the Planet Kia Studios. Bryce Williams, no longer a 49er, right? We thought maybe, just maybe, there was a shot that they could keep him, but he instead goes to Nebraska, which is a big Power 5 transfer. Ali Khalifa, one of my favorite favorite players in the last decade just because of how unique he was he was a little bit of a different style he goes to BYU how bad was the transfer portal to Charlotte this season Hunter and is there any redeeming thing coming back in return via the porter portal uh it's transfer portal take it the way right now yeah. I haven't heard of anything yeah. as far as on the way um, I mean losing losing Bryce he's going to Nebraska to play for Fred Hoiberg this is his go to Nebraska play there for a year take your shot in the league I mean up your three-point percentage, play against higher-quality opponents. And that way, the NBA scouts know this is what's up. Jameer Young talked about it, too. Uh, when Charlotte lost to Rice in the Conference USA tournament a couple seasons ago, the scouts literally said to him, like, we see what you can do, but we don't think you can do it at higher-level competition. So he had to transfer to give himself, give himself a shot to play in the NBA. You're seeing the same thing with these guys. 
What's the vibe around the program, like with the fans, or what have you been hearing about their opinions of Charlotte basketball? Because it just seems like a program that's just dormant right now, for lack of a better term. It's it's funny, man, because as soon as it felt like it was going their way a little bit, they win the CBI. It's like, all right, going to the American, got our guys coming back. Because at first, nine of the top ten scorers from a season ago were slated to come back before they started hitting the portal. But then you lose your two top scorers and your two top rebounders, and Bryce and Ali, and now it's kind of like, here we are again. You know, we're new conference, same head coach coming back again. It's just you're kind of looking for these young guys to step up, but you know that you're in the same situation where you're going to have to rely on transfer folks to come in and shape the team. Yeah, Wes, you ask about the vibe. We got a text. Walker, let's ignore 49ers basketball. That program is dead with the current setup. <laughs> I think all Niner fans are 100% focused on football, wanting us to go back to football. But that answered your question, right? Like, that's just what it is right now. And it is unfortunate because... Okay, some of this feels a little ridiculous when you win the CBI. I mean, you win what is like the third postseason tournament in college basketball, but at least there was some momentum. It felt weird how to try to take that. But then when you lose a Bryce Williams, when you lose an Ali Khalifa, and something that continues to be a problem that I've talked about for over a decade, it doesn't matter what coach you have, talent is going to transfer out. And even with the portal being all more prevalent, yes, that is a little bit of an excuse to these coaches that come in and take over this program. But the name of the game is keeping on to some of that talent, at least getting something in return. And so, Hunter, like, look, we're getting later into the year. I I guess timing would be interesting, and, and I think it would be late. But if we continue to not hear any names come through the transfer portal, like, when well, we're getting pretty deep into the process, what are the chances you think Ron Sanchez is fired before the season starts? Do you think we're past that point, or do you still think there's a possibility? I think we're probably past that point now. I mean, if you're going to do it, you should have done it. Right. Even even right after the CBI. I mean, the news of them transferring came out that Monday. I'm pretty sure they won the CBI on like a Saturday. And well, I know there was some like hope maybe they could hold on if possible, but eventually it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, I think at this point, firing Ron would, like if you were going to do it, you should have done it. But Mike, or Mike Hill has also said before, if it's going to happen eventually, it might as well go ahead and happen right now. So... You can look at it either way, but at this mm -hmm. point, I think it's you should have done it if you're going to. Are there any rumblings of any guys that you're hearing that are maybe even looking at Charlotte that could potentially come in and help them immediately? There's been some folks that have came in and toured, but nothing that's like they're on the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we can move on from the basketball program. We'll give some final thoughts here from Hunter Bailey joining <laughs> us in playing at Kia Studios. That's just how it is with basketball right now. Some of the final things from the spring game. I know we talked about biggest strengths, biggest weaknesses. I know you also put together an article, if I'm not mistaken, on The Observer, where you did have quite a bit of quotes in here, right? Something from Biff Pogey, possibly, with something that stood out to you when talking to anybody after the spring game was over and done with. Yeah, I really thought the like, biggest takeaways were from Jalen Jones. He said, mm -hmm. this offense is going to be explosive-style offense. That's who we are, which for me, that was a big flip from everything I had been told. All I was hearing was elite defense, run the ball, Big Ten. So when he said explosive-style offense, I was like, all right, that's a little bit different. What We're going to have explosive handoffs? We're going to have some play <laughs> action? Like, what's going on? So that that was one of my biggest takeaways and, I mean, they did show a little bit of just straight drop back, like three yeah. to five-step drops. And then Williams, Williams, when he came in, Xavier Williams, their offense definitely changed a little bit. And whether it have just been struggles with getting through his progressions or lack of fami familiarity with the receivers, it was just like there was a clear drop-off. So that's that was 
at least key to me. How was the scene? What was the turnout like? The tailgates were good. I mean, they had the Normulans out there. The group of five guys came to town, did a live show. Uh, Biff Pogey walked down the hill during the Niner walk with a very large stogie in his hand. (laughs) He was enjoying himself. The fans were out there having fun. It wasn't the packed house that he spoke of. Yeah. Um, But I would say it was about half capacity. And when you're thinking about a spring game for Charlotte, that's, I mean, it was no Colorado. You guys saw that. I thought they said it was like 5,000 fans or whatever. So I thought that was decent for Charlotte. I mean, for sure. And I don't, I don't even know of a head count, but when you looked at the crowd, like the home side, that side looked good. The away side where the students sit, it was about half full over there. And then the end zone was hardly no one. So yeah. when, I mean, it was it was a good turnout. The fans had fun. They did autographs after. All the fans were out on the field talking to the coaches and the players. And that was the first time that you could do any of that in this offseason. So overall, it was good. Yeah. So bottom line, should people be excited about this team coming into the fall based off everything you've seen in the spring from day one all the way up into the spring game. Definitely. I mean, you look at it too. They play exciting games this year. I mean, we're talking at Florida, at Maryland, at ECU. Navy is the homecoming game. Memphis at home. Like there's exciting games that you're like, hey man, I actually want to make time to watch this on my Saturday or I want to bring my family out here and watch a decent product on the field. And even if they aren't this powerhouse that he's talking like right off rip, as long as there's improvement over three and nine and it's better than what it was, I think you're pleased with at least this direction in the new conference. All right, there is the spring game recap from Hunter Bailey, the guy that is covering this team every single day, all the important stuff. It would be a smart thing for you to follow him on Twitter, at Hunter underscore Bailey 45. Also take a listen to his uh, Highway 49 podcast. Has some great guests on there, also great analysis as well. Again, Highway 49 podcast. Hunter, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks again. Thanks, bro. There's the recap. We'll talk a little bit more 49ers maybe later on in the week. Try to get a little bit more of Wes's analysis because he is the spring game guy. And so we'll get some (laughs) more of what he had to say. Coming up next, though, we got to go back to the first overall pick that the Carolina Panthers have. We'll talk a little bit about Bryce Young and just be wary of a mock mock draft melee attempt. That thing will sneak up on you. That's coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. people the game has changed just a little bit because i was talking with fitty and we were discussing charlotte 49ers basketball people were saying you know hey don't it's cool like we don't need to talk about 49ers basketball right now let's just focus on football after the spring game and then fitty said wait did you ever buy your cbi championship t-shirt i had not i forgot to look because initially i did couldn't find any Sure enough, they're out there, man. I'm going to get a CBI championship t-shirt. As you should. And the t-shirt looks great. What do you want me to do? I know. I'm going to be out here, you know, with my arms crossed, just like the players on the shirt. It's the starting five. It's Bryce Williams front and center. Ali Khalifa peeking over his right shoulder. The starting five all looking at the camera with their arms crossed. CBI champions. 
And I just, I need to have it in my life. I just, I don't know why I describe it as so funny to me. Like, it, it is, though. It's just funny. Are they in their old uniforms or their new team's uniforms? Um, new logo. New logo is a part of this. And so, Fitty, you wanted there to be the Nike check mark, right? You wanted it to be real official, and then you would never clown me again. Uh, good afternoon, boys. My no, name is Josh Finney Marlowe. Yeah. Hey. I- I want you to talk more. Yeah. You've been working. I no. was I was just telling you during the break, like if if it had the Nike check on it, yeah, I could never clown you. That'd be the most official <laughs> participation trophy uh, yeah. T-shirt in the history of humanity. I'm getting it. I mean, it's it's already like I need to account for it already. I see that it's on sale right now for some reason. I, I don't I don't know why. Oh God, and you're buying a CBI championship shirt on discount. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's a baller move. I agree. I don't know if I've ever done anything more baller in my entire <laughs> life. I do want to. I liked that the first line that you had all day though. It's the latest you've ever gone in the show without giving us line and it was about charlotte cbi championship do you want to give your analysis on the mock draft that we're about to have like do you want to be involved here it's, it's it's a late it's a late time for your debut line you know look here's the thing i usually complain when i don't when i don't talk yeah um my <laughs> allergies have like kicked my butt all weekend okay. so i'm i'm basking in just kind of sitting behind and letting y'all okay I mean, it is y'all show yeah being the star of the show okay I, I guess that's true man he's a good guy and i was asking did the guys have on does like ali khalifa have on his byu uniform bryce williams i thought you were saying joint. new logo or old logo jerseys yeah, no, no, no those do guys not. in their new uni <laughs> they <so>. do not <laughs> i might wear that one too though but no they don't they are still in the charlotte unis ones that they wore when they actually did win the cbi championship number one troll no cap i'm ordering one right now former alumni about to go to half of the home games yeah man so go ahead and wear this and you are welcome if you wanted a cbi championship t-shirt all right let's get back to the nfl the carolina panthers selecting number one overall on thursday with the mock draft melee Junior's first mock draft of the season. With the first, second, third pick in the NFL draft, here comes the commissioner. I'm going to miss Frank Caliendo saying Todd a million times once this thing is put into the garage in an old dusty box that you're not going to be able to open up until it's mock draft season once again. But once we do open it back up, it will be awesome. Number one overall pick, this one in the Joe Person athletic mock draft, okay? Someone is as tapped in to the organization as anyone. He finally made a switch, Wes. Finally made the switch from C.J. Stroud to number one overall on March 31st. I believe the last mock draft that he released, it is now Bryce Young, number one to the Carolina Panthers. He said with the caveat, he said he had Stroud at the top on March 31st, but he also had the caveat that he might have Young jump ahead of him before the actual draft. And he talks about all sorts of stuff that you hear from us every single day. If you want to go check it out, you can see some of the other picks that he made. Again, Joe Person, you can follow him on Twitter at Joseph Person. But I did want to play this soundbite from Dan Orlovsky talking about Bryce Young and a different QB, maybe some other style of QB that you could see here in a Panther uniform. First of all, a little bit of a spread out formation and your shotgun centric to allow him to have the vision to see, see the field. The second thing is the structured short passing game, almost like point playing point guard. Catch and throw with premier ball placements. And then the third thing is cre- creativity built in to their chunk pass game. I think of what Patrick 
Patrick Mahomes has had in Kansas City in regards to this. Spread out, a little bit like Joe Burrow, have vision, the structured pass game, get the ball in your hands, and then you got to allow that athleticism and or creativity to be a part of your chunk pass game the same way that Kansas City did for Patrick. I think that's what I'm so excited about, Wes, It's the fact that we're going to have creativity at the quarterback position again. Because think about it, without Cam Newton, you go to Teddy Bridgewater, who is still probably the best of the bridge QBs, if you will, that they've had here. But it's not like you're playing off script a ton with Teddy Bridgewater. Sam Darnold could do it a little bit. We had the running Sam. We had the Cam Darnold comparisons that were fun during a 3-0 and start and, you know, fine. But you're still not playing off script a lot with any of those bridge QBs that you had come in. Bryce Young can, and that's what I'm most excited about. Exciting, fun, creative offense again. Yeah, no doubt about it. And in a term that women like to use a lot, but we won't say it here, these were basic QBs, if you get what I'm uh, picking um, up. I think so. Down. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say it either. We're yeah, QBs. Basic QBs, but yeah, so you get a guy now that, like I said, he can absorb anything as well. You can teach him something on Monday. He's going to have it down good enough to be able to run it on Sunday or whatever day you want to teach it to him. But this is a guy that's going to quickly absorb things. He's going to quickly be able to analyze and assess. And the biggest thing, too, is that you don't have to worry about him making the bad decision. This isn't a guy that you put out there on the field. And if you want to run a play that's going to be a quote-unquote chunk play if it's not there you don't have to worry about him saying oh i gotta make something happen i'm just gonna do it anyway he's gonna make the smart play and i think that makes you feel more comfortable as a coach when you start to really dig into your bag in the playbook this is a guy that's gonna make the right decision if the play's there he's gonna take it and go down the field if it's not there he's gonna hold the ball and either chuck it out of bounds to play another day or take the check down and that's another benefit that you get with Bryce Young is just the decision making. He's not going to force something that isn't there. Yeah, I, I, th- I think having a fun QB come out is also really exciting at number one, right? Like even if we don't have the elite physical traits that you talk about with the Richardson or even Will Levis, who was top five in a lot of those categories, he does play a very fun style of football. Plus just having the novelty of having a small QB. I find that attractive. Like I, I like it as far as just the aesthetics go out there on the football field. So I'm excited even watching him play. It's going to be a lot of fun let's go to round two and round three so it wasn't a league-wide mock trap that joe person puts together he just puts different prospects at round two pick 39 round three pick 93 stuff like that but man it gets pretty good when you're talking about round two being bj ojalari which i know i guess we have a little differing opinions on i know you're a little worried about the lack of productivity coming from lsu pass rushers once they get to the nfl but that's what he has at number 39 and then in a projected trade where carolina actually moves to 95 they even move back in the third round west and they get jonathan mingo who i just gave a whole spiel about maybe you could take him Maybe not at 39, but you would trade back in the second round and then select him, and he might go early in the second round. That's something we've seen a wide range about where he would go. I mean, Wes, I look at this mock draft, and if it takes place this way, okay, if it is Bryce Young, number one, if it's B.J. Ojolari, number two, and you get Jonathan Mingo, who's kind of a a big ceiling boom bust type of guy out of Ole Miss— I can't picture too many better scenarios coming away with those three picks. Do you feel as high about those three picks as I do? Well, obviously not with what I've talked about with uh, Ojolari and how I feel in that situation, even though the production is there. So like mm-hmm. I said, it's a it's a pick that you can understand why it was made. 
Mingo as well. The production was good out of that Ole Miss offense as much as they throw it. You might want to see a little bit more, and I think they're hoping that this is a DK Metcalf clone with the size and with what he has. And again, it's all relative to what's there. But if this is what you come out of the draft with, I think you can feel good about it. But again, it just depends what's there. When you pick Ojolari, is there a receiver sitting there that maybe gives you more value? Is it Jalen Hyatt sitting there? Does Quentin Johnson fall out of the first round? Is he sitting there? In the third round, are there some guys, maybe a corner that you may want or something of that nature? So Mm -hmm. it's all relative in what's hanging on there. There are some better scenarios. And so... There's other receivers that you like more than Mingo. Like today, I saw Josh Downs mocked in the third round. Uh, it, it It's yeah. just interesting all the different scenarios you see. So if you're sitting in the third round and you could get Josh Downs or Mingo, which one would you rather have? Or if you're sitting there in the second round and a guy falls out of the first round that you maybe wanted a little bit more, but you take Ojolari. Because I saw Ojolari in the third round mock as well today. So We got so many. You, you have no <laughs> clue. You have no clue what these guys like. But just to point blank answer your question, I think this is not a bad scenario for the Panthers. Yeah, I, I would I would be very happy if this was the thing that actually played out. And just a couple of write-ups here from Joe on each of the selections. He said the most glaring need for the Panthers is the one Fitterer mentioned first in a quote during the pre-draft press conference. Edge rusher is the biggest need for them. He said he's been asked a lot about whether the Panthers would actually trade down from 39 to get an extra pick. And Fitterer has always talked about the 20th through the 45th selections being the strong suit of the draft. And so depending on just how far you would trade down, you might be out of that window that Fitterer had discussed. I still think it's a possibility, but I did want to also read about the Mingo write up. Joe person said, I drafted Mingo to the Panthers in the fourth round on March 31st. I'm not sure that's going to happen anymore. I'm not sure that he's going to make it to day three. And so in this particular scenario, he said the Panthers would deal the 93rd pick that they got from San Francisco to Kansas City for the Chiefs third round pick two spots later and also an additional fifth round selection at 166. I'll make the prediction that at least one time Carolina trades down. Whether it's from 39 down to get an extra pick, whether it's from 93, I'm going to say at least once Carolina will trade down in this selection process at some point through the draft. See, I think that they may trade up. You're going the exact opposite. Yeah, I think they may trade up to go and get a receiver. I think there's so many sitting there, and I think that somebody's bound to fall in this draft just based off the aggregation of the mock drafts that you see, you feel like at least one of these scenarios will be plausible. We've seen Quentin Johnson fall in mock drafts. We've seen Zay Flowers fall in mock drafts. I feel like there will be someone that's going to take that inevitable fall in the draft that the Panthers may feel inclined to go up and get because of the value. I could see it. We'll see. Scott Fitter likes to move up and down the draft board big time. This was a question I was going to put in the rundown, but just didn't. I didn't know if you guys would laugh at me. But the fact that Joe Gibbs Jr. is also asking this, I'll ask it to you. Do you all think there's any chance that Carolina would take two uh, QBs in this draft if one falls? Like, I don't know, Stetson Bennett? a la what Washington did when they took RG3 and then Kirk Cousins a little bit later. I don't think that's going to happen, especially with you signing Andy Dalton. That's a great question, though, and I don't think that you should have shied away from putting All right, in the thank rundown. You. Because that's something I've thought about. Myself. Yeah, that's something I've thought about through this process as well. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Uh, I think part of Washington's thinking might have been what if RG3 gets hurt, which he ended up 
getting hurt mm-hmm. when you have a quarterback that ran that runs the ball uh, like he did. So I think that was part of their thinking. I think with the Panthers, with Bryce Young, I think they feel pretty good as far as him not getting injured due to his style of play. And so with them having Andy Dalton sitting behind him, I don't necessarily see that. I think they'd rather keep a veteran behind him than two rookies where he automatically has to come in feeling pressure already. The thing is, I I, I don't know what veteran QBs Washington had on the roster at that time. You have one that you just dished out a contract to in Andy Dalton. I would say one of the better backup QBs in the entire league. But also with everyone asking about Matt Corral then does this mean he's gone for sure? You already traded up to go get Matt Corral. So are you going to just accumulate sunk cost here? And it's not bad, right? It's it's not like you lost uh, lost out after trading up in the first round. So it, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. But I just think there are so many things working against that, right? Andy Dalton's already on the roster. You use a pick number one overall. You have Matt Corral, too, that you're trying to figure out, do you want to trade him or do you want to keep him? And the other thing I'd say is, If you believe that this is a team that can win now, or at least come close to it, then I think you want to use every draft selection to maximize the potential of people that actually get on the field. Because this QB that you draft, he ain't seeing the field unless it's an emergency situation this year. The only way Kirk Cousins saw it was when it was an emergency situation, right? So you're not doing that this year. I think Scott Fitter, I think Carolina would try to maximize the potential of them winning this season and beyond by using those draft selections elsewhere. Chadillac said, I don't even know what that means. I guess Cadillac, Chadillac, I kind of like it. Said, if we take two, it'll be Hendon Hooker. See, he's going to go too high. Yeah, Yeah, you're not going to take 39, right? Let's say he falls to 39, falls, quote unquote, whatever your projection is. You're not going to take him at 39, and you would take a wide receiver. Would that, that automatically well. make the Panthers draft a fail if they did something like that? <laughs> I mean, you could trade. <laughs> I remember Adam Schefter, who I forget what team it was, but Schefter posed this this theory that you could take two QBs with two very high draft picks. I think it was Cleveland. I think it was Cleveland when they had the number one and the fourth overall pick with John Dorsey, and he was saying, hey, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen. We don't know who's going to pan out. So just take QBs, number one and number four, and then trade the other one for a lot more picks in return. But that's not quite the same as one in 39 and then getting a wide receiver at 39. So, yeah, I, I would not be a fan. As much as I am cool with drafting a QB every year because it's the most important position, not a 39 Especially after you draft one. And especially with the limited amount of picks. And especially right, when you're sitting right, where right, the Panthers right. are. This isn't a team that has so many holes to fill as far as how many players that they need. This is a team that if you can plug in the right combination of young guys, mm-hmm. this could be a team that makes a legitimate playoff push. And so you don't want to ruin that by wasting a pick on a position you really don't need this season. Now, if you came back next year and took one in the maybe third, fourth round, that's understandable. But just this year, that Once Bryce no is sense. established, yeah, 100%. I mean, if you're Matt Corral, they took two quarterbacks. What did you oh, yeah. say in your See living it. room? You're just sitting there like, good yeah. Lord, yeah, man. You know was I that bad? <laughs> <laughs> um, last few picks real quickly. Chandler Savala, guard out of NC State, was Joe's fourth-round pick, the first yeah. one. Terrell Smith, cornerback out of Minnesota. I've seen a lot of good things about him. And Cameron Latu, or Latu, don't know how you pronounce it, but just something interesting about him. 
Latou at tight end out of Alabama also scored in the 98th percentile when it comes to S2. So 98th percentile for Latou as well as Bryce Young. DJ Johnson was the last pick and Edge, who's an athletic freak. So just to give you a rapid fire of the selections person made later in this draft, those were some of the names listed. All right, let's get to Fitty Showtime, baby. You better bring it because we skipped over you the first time. I apologize, but this is your time to shine. Fitty, go ahead. All right, we got a lot to go through, so I'll go very quickly. It was a great weekend for Charlotte FC as they took down Columbus on Saturday 1-0 to earn their first home win of 2023. Willie P will join us tomorrow to talk about that. After losing four straight to the Louisville Bats, the Charlotte Knights won their last two over the weekend. Travel day today, uh, today, the Knights will be back in action tomorrow. In the NHL, the Carolina Hurricanes responded after my Islanders won game three on Friday. <sighs> Five to one. Yesterday, Carolina, they won five to two. We got Walt Ruff from Hurricanes.com joining us next segment to talk about the Canes on the verge of advancing to the second round. And in NASCAR, Kyle Bush won at Talladega. Some late, uh, l- late race dramatics there. Yeah. He wins under caution. And a reminder that all NASCAR talk right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ is brought to you by Dale Earnhardt Chevy up in Newton, North Carolina. Crib, one, two. That's a great fitty flash. That was a flash. Yeah. Look at you. Nice I'm exhausted. Job. Nice job. I'll right. a cigarette. That, <laughs> that was your speaking segment. We'll come back. And instead of fitty, we will make that jump to Walt Ruff of Hurricanes.com. He'll bring it in, talking a little bit about their series in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs that just so happened to be in the NHL. That one's for you, Will Kunkel. Coming up next, Walt Ruff, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. a goal two points carolina up five to one time winding down here in elmont new york the carolina hurricanes defeat the new york Islanders five two canes take a three games to one lead in this series and that was the win that the carolina hurricanes got yesterday to go up three one in their series over the new york islanders welcome back to the wesson walker show sports radio 927 WFNZ, and to talk more about that win in the Carolina Hurricanes, we have Walt Ruff from Hurricanes.com. Ruff Ryder. Let's go, baby. How you doing? <laughs> What's going on, fellas? How are you? I love the intro music. Very fitting. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing great, man. So talking about that win last night, we know the Canes had that playoff road winning streak and wanted to get rid of it. How much were they thinking about this, and was it a point of emphasis post-game? Well, God's excited about getting that off of their backs well to be honest i know that everyone's looking for yes to be the answer here but we had been asking them in the days leading up to it as well you know is this starting to weigh on your mind and everybody was pretty consistently saying no but i do think to an extent it's just something you would like to shake right whether it was coincidence or whether it was legitimately struggling on the road and maybe some of the 
you know, games within the game, if you will, and matchups and certain facets of it. But uh, there were a couple guys who admitted that it was relieving just to kind of shake probably from the aspect of not being asked about it anymore. But uh, yesterday's win was certainly one for a variety of reasons that made the team feel good. And so Coach Brenda Moore told them that they needed to trust their set plays on power plays, and it paid off for them yesterday with some of those big goals. How much can we expect to see this going forward? Well, I remember when we talked last week, we discussed how much special teams was going to play a factor in the rest of the series. And, you know, Friday night, a lot of the discussion was around how if Carolina had converted on some of their power plays, they may have been up 3 nothing in the series. Um, so it was nice to see them get rewarded yesterday. We know very rarely when these things are talked about and they're, you know, that big of a point of emphasis that they wind up turning around and becoming such a big, you know, success factor so soon. So it was nice to see them get multiple goals on the power play yesterday. Hopefully that is something they can carry over into tomorrow. Um, of course, the Islanders will be looking at that and trying to make adjustments on their end too, but Certainly a thing to feel good about for Carolina entering tomorrow's Game 5. Walt Ruff of Hurricanes.com joining us right now on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. I want to talk a little bit just about individual players. The first one is Sebastian Ajo. You wrote on Hurricanes.com the second goal of the series was also the 20th of his postseason career, and that officially passed Eric Stahl, a Hurricane giant in this franchise's history, and that is now the second right on that list. Uh, is it too soon to start talking legacy conversation with Sebastian Ajo? He's only 25 years old, but I just, I see that. I see him pass somebody, a giant like Eric Stahl, and I'm thinking, man, already at this age, he's making his way on those types of lists. What what kind of legacy talk should we have around Ajo right now? Well, I mean, anytime you reach a milestone like that, it kind of comes with it, right? Uh, whether it be a reflection more of the organization's somewhat relatively young history in the postseason. I know, you know, 02 and 06 and things like that will always come to mind, but we do have to be honest with ourselves. And there was a dead period for a while when mm-hmm. it came to the Carolina Hurricanes and the Stanley Cup playoffs. And Sebastian Ajo is one of those reasons why the Carolina Hurricanes are having the success that they've had over the last couple of years. So it's Nice to see him creeping up the list. Like you said, he's still a young cat, right? There's a lot of hockey left out of him. So I don't think it's unfair for the discussion to come along. I, you know, I don't see him as the type of player that even pays it any mind and would let it get to him. Uh, but it, uh, for another point, too, it goes to show how special he is and you know, kind of enjoy the moment with him. Uh, there could be a lot of hockey left with him in the playoffs, and uh, he's certainly someone who's, quote, driving the ship for the team right now and hopefully will be for years to come. Uh, now, at least Mackenzie McEachern is on the list now. OK, he's not second. He still has a ways <laughs> to go, but he is on the list having scored a postseason goal. Look, I know what he said after the game. He said he it's not that hard to just step into um, you step into the lineup playing with a group that he hasn't played with all season long. But I still thought it was impressive. Just how impressed were you? Very impressed. Honestly, it is so difficult to jump right into the lineup. He didn't play a regular season game with the team. Uh, that is, you know, borderline unheard of. I know it's, some of the stats get a little obscure, but the first non-rookie since 1981 to make his team debut with the team and score in the playoffs. So uh, it's certainly impressive. I think it's very fair to expect him in the lineup again tomorrow. Now, we know the Hurricanes are very shorthanded when it comes to some of the injuries they've had, so it wouldn't at all surprise me to see him back on that top line tomorrow night alongside Sebastian Ajo and Seth Jarvis. But a feel-good story, right? These are the stories within the stories that you look for this time of year, and uh, that was certainly one yesterday for the Canes. 
And so while looking ahead, if the Hurricanes are able to close out this series, they would play the winner of the Devils and the Rangers. Which one of those teams do you think would give them the tougher time? Well, it's hard not to say the Rangers, given um, how successful they've been in recent postseasons. They obviously had Carolina Hurricane numbers last postseason, uh, and they've got pretty much everything you look for in a complete team build, right? They've got a really quality goalie. They're good on defense. Uh, they've just got a plethora of talent at forward and embarrassment of riches, if you will. Uh, their special teams are pretty good. They're pretty potent. They can strike on the power play. So, uh, to be honest, I would prefer to not see the Rangers, but uh, it certainly makes tonight's game between the Rangers and Devils that much more musty because, you know, New Jersey's going with a different goaltender that they did in Game 3. They were able to take one on the road, and now we get to see if they're going to make it a series uh, tonight there in New York. Well, yeah, and you mentioned the goalies. You know, Rod Brendamore, he talked about the rationale of starting, you know, Ranta for a fourth consecutive game. He said with our goalies, it's just give us a chance, keep us in the game. Is is that going to be enough if they continue to go deeper into the postseason, or are you going to have to see better production out of that position? No, I think what Ranta's done thus far has certainly been adequate. I mean, it's true. That's all you can ask for. Give us a chance to win the game. and. I think that phrase became even more relevant after the last month and a half or so of the regular season where uh, we saw a couple of individual gaps in net uh, that maybe led to some defeats for the Hurricanes. And, you know, of course, it's funny we can laugh now because game one, that was a gap on Ransa's part uh, and the goal that kind of handcuffed him and he missed on the poke check and it went in. Now, fortunately, it was the only goal he allowed for the rest of the night. He was incredible. Um, but I think he's doing his part. I really do. Of course, you want to see your goalies steal you games when they can. Um, we're not at that point yet, but I do think he's capable of doing that because if you look at his regular season and the shutout performances that he had, he's capable of stealing games, and knowing that he has that in him is certainly one of the reasons why they keep going back to him in net. That was Walt Ruff on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can follow him on Twitter at Walt Ruff. Walt, we'll be talking to you down the road, hopefully with more Hurricanes wins in tow. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Looking forward to it. All right. That was Walt Ruff talking about the Canes and the series, and hopefully they close this thing out and move on to the next round. But when we return on the Wesson Walker Show, it's Fast becoming one of you guys' favorites. I just know it, and I can't wait to see how Walker will try to cheat today. (laughs) It is the prospect duel on deck in the final hour of the Wesson Walker Show. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.